outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Journey. Well, welcome to 2024 and the 20th season of The God Journey. And unfortunately, I'm here all alone to talk about it with you. Kyle's had a major medical situation and developed with his family. It's going to take him some time out. And so he couldn't join us today. I talked to Sarah about possibly doing something together. But then I had a further thought that there was something Kyle and I wanted to open the new year with. And I wanted to tell him a story that he's been part of. He's watched it from a distance a bit. But I wanted to tell you too. I wanted to tell this audience about something that I've been a part of for the last three years. It now seems like maybe this is a good time to do it. I, I wanted to kind of do it in a dialogue with Kyle, let him ask some questions he may want to ask. But as I've been thinking over the last couple of days, I think maybe this might be a better way to do it. Just kind of let me tell you a story that we've encountered, I've encountered over the last three years, what we've learned from it, and see if any of it resonates with your heart or provokes questions. And then next week, if Kyle and I will do this podcast or the next time Kyle's here, Let's see what kind of questions he might have or you might have sent in that we can process to think through some of this. This has been one of the three things in my life that have been most transformative over the last three years. The one you know in detail has a lot to do with Sarah and Sarah's story, and that continues to go wonderfully well, and we continue to see God unfold things there. That's marvelous. And it's also brought us into a lot of trauma conversations with a lot of people who found Sarah's story be very helpful to their own. So that continues from both our standpoints. It's been a huge growing curve for both of us. The other thing started even before the situation with Sarah, and that happened right after the last election. And I want to tell you this story. I know it's going to make some of you angry. I'm going to say at the start, it's not my desire to. It's just how it unfolded. And people will get defensive. I get the emails all the time. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm a big idiot. And it's fine. You can send those emails, too. I don't mind looking over them. Uh, but I think there may be some things here that might resonate you a bit more deeply. And this is not something I came up with. It wasn't my idea. After the last election, 2020, I got a phone call one day from some folks in Ireland. They'd been praying. They'd been praying for our country, very concerned over the polarization and animosity growing in our country, how it impacts the world. They've been praying about me, the book, A Language of Healing for a Polarized Nation, which Bob and Arnita and I did a few years back, trying to invite people to a, a better level of discourse in our world. It didn't work. The book, um, I'm not sure even sold well to people I know. I, I know a lot of people have never even read that book, and I just think it was the right book at the right time, but there wasn't readers who wanted to pick it up and read it and explore the options. We were undergoing a lot of tension at the time. The whole Black Lives Matter was huge. White fragility got to be an issue with, with people. And they got to be so defensive and so angry on both sides that a book that offered a middle road was not well received. And it's still worth doing. I have no regret that we put it in the world, and it may be for another day and another time. I still treasure the things that I've learned and the things were in that book. But partly because of it, uh, and the folks in Ireland had read it, they were praying for me specifically and what was going on in our country. And they, they called me one day and just asked for what I saw about the election and what happened. And there was still a lot of the 
clamor about the election fraud and all that that was going on at the time. And I just said to him, you know, I don't know. I'm willing to just keep walking down this road and, and see what happens. And they said, well, we've got a question to ask you. We were praying for you the other night, and we want to ask you a question. Would you be willing to stand up? And I went, what are you guys talking about? Stand up for what? And I, I'm thinking, and in fact, I think I said, if you're asking me to stand up politically, I am not interested. I'm not interested in running for office. I'm not interested in shifting the content of what I do to be political in nature. My desire is to help people know Jesus, walk with Jesus, follow Jesus. And their response was this, we, we think God has asked us to ask you if you would stand with him against the delusion that's in the world. And my heart immediately jumped. And I told them, let me think about that, because I don't even know what that means. And I asked them what it meant. And they said, we have no idea what it means either. We just feel like God wanted us to ask you if you'd be willing to stand with him against the delusion that's in the world. Well, number one, I'm willing to stand with God about anything. So if, if I'm being invited to that, great. What does that mean? We don't know. So, okay, well, I can say yes, and then God's going to have to show us because I haven't got a plan, and I'm not about to try and construct a strategy out of my own head to somehow make that happen. But over the next few weeks, I began to contemplate, where, where would we go with that? What would that look like? And I remembered something that someone had said to me a long time ago. What if you got people together in the world who had had some years of learning to live loved by the Father, had learned to listen to God, not, not to build ministries and build kingdoms, but simply to listen to that heartbeat, to respond to it in ways that cuts the grain of their own self-interest, has a level of maturity and quietness in the love of God and a confidence in God's ability to do what God wants to do in the world. What happens if we could get some of those together? Jesus said things like, where two or three of you agree is touching anything in my name. What, could, what would happen if we brought together people who've had some enduring time and some sensitivity? And we, we, I remember talking about this pre-Zoom, pre-all that, just like, yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? I've got friends in Australia and friends in Europe and friends in South Africa. I'd, I'd love to bring people together like that. But, uh, gee, I'd have a have a meeting or a retreat or a you know a weekend. I mean, we, we talked about all kinds of options. And then when this surfaced, the invitation to stand with God against the delusion in the world, and knowing I, I wouldn't do that on my own for any reason. And I said, what if we brought some people together who maybe asked God, who would he have in mind for this? And so I did. I prayed. Uh, folks in Ireland prayed. And uh, we had a list of about 15 people that we thought, you know, here would be some people on our heart. Let's ask them, would they be willing to meet every couple of weeks and wait before God and see what he would reveal? And out of those, we had about 10, 12 say, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. And so for the last three years, every other Wednesday morning, my time, uh, evening in other places in the world, a group of us have gotten together and we've prayed to ask God what it would mean for us to stand against the delusion that's in the world with him. And it's been the most, uh, hands down, incredible gathering of brothers and sisters I've ever been involved with. And, and I've been involved in some wonderful things. It started awkwardly because we didn't know what to do. 
some people started with us and then just felt like they didn't have time. It didn't fit into their life the way they were going. So we had some dropouts and we loved them dearly. We've kind of kept them up to date as we can about what's going on. But we just continued to get together. And a lot of what's gone into that space, I'm, I'm not glorifying that group. I'm not even going to identify them right now. We actually actually added one a, a few a year or so in just because we felt like there was somebody else God wanted to invite alongside us. We called it agreeing with God, and we met with this in mind. We weren't trying to come up with a prayer. God wanted us to agree with him about something. And the sense I had was, if God showed us today what it was, we wouldn't believe him. It wasn't something we already knew. It wasn't pooling our wisdom together and coming up with an idea. There was something God wanted to reveal to us, and if he did it in an instant we wouldn't believe it. We wouldn't have followed it. We wouldn't have, we would have run from it. And so we kind of launched on this journey, which is we don't know where we're going. It's not just pooling our wisdom together. We're going to be before God. We're going to contemplate the nudges he puts on our heart and seek to identify where this goes from here and to see if there's something that God has for us to do. And (laughs) a big part of it was, if this doesn't work and this isn't fruitful and this isn't helpful and nothing comes of it, we'll just chuck it. It's no big deal. Let's, let's explore it. Nothing. The worst thing we're going to do is be an hour together looking for what it is that God wants us to agree with him about that would do something about the delusion that's in the world. And so we began simply with that. And we've, we've known lots of people. And yeah, this gets political, but it's not just political. I've seen many, many brothers and sisters. Because the delusion runs two ways, right? It's the darkness in the world. That's one delusion. It's also a delusion among brothers and sisters that have taken a particular political event uh, bent that I think has been dangerous. Now, let me be clear about this, because yes, it does involve Donald Trump, and yes, it does involve the faked election thing, it does involve the... All those things happened after we began started praying. The whole idea of the the election uh, stolen and and insurrection at the Capitol, and some people get offended just because I use the word insurrection. It, It was an insurrection. It was an attempt by force to thwart a democratic process. No matter how illegal you felt like the process was... It was a process. We went through it together as a country, and the fraud that was called out didn't turn out to exist. Now, I only came to understand later, in some of the new apostolic reformation material that we've talked about kind of more recently, how much a lot of that was undergirded by a significant number of Christians who felt that January 6th was a spiritual warfare day to get God to thwart the political process, put the rightful, in their mind, president in power. And by doing that, it would launch a great revival. Now, I didn't know all that was at stake during this time. I'm not in tune with that particular wing of the family of Christ. But I have friends, I have brothers and sisters I know well, who were caught up in this as well, and were angry that I wasn't caught up in it with them. Somehow, and I went from being a friend and a confidant to someone who be held in suspicion, someone who had demons because he was cooperating with the wrong side. And what I noticed was any any attempt to question some of what was going on. I understand. I have friends who like Donald Trump's policies better than Biden's. 
I get that. Believe me, there's not, I don't have any question with people who have a political preference of Trump over Biden for policies, for whatever. But I do have a problem with those who somehow saw Donald Trump as a savior, a Cyrus, someone who would bring God's redemption to our world. And I, I, my yuck meter would just fly off the handle at that kind of talk, and I, I followed it. So we're praying against the delusion in the world. It's the darkness that, that the, the people who don't know God live in. That's part of it. It's also the fact that it's seemingly in our generation a significant number of brothers and sisters in Christ have fallen for a delusion that smacks of power, seven mountain mandates, domination. We're going to bring the kingdom to the planet by manipulating the planet's political, entertainment, business, whatever systems. Now, should Christians have influence in those things? Of course. Of course. But the language was to dominate. The language was to get God to dominate on our behalf. And it was all based on prophecies and things that I, I think moved far afield from anything that Jesus ever did. Now, all of that's become more known to us in more recent days. But at the time, we simply began to be before God saying, okay, there's this great delusion. We hold pain in it. We hold friends dearly, former friends sometimes, former family sometimes. Now not even conversing because of their anger over what's going on in the world and figuring out if you're not on our side, you're on their side. I can't tell you how many people kept saying, oh, you're just one of those leftist people because I care about equality beyond our racial differences in America. I care about that. I care about immigration in a way that's fair and just, yet does not deny our humanity, that doesn't demonize every immigrant at the border as some kind of destructive force in the world. I care. Does that mean I'm a leftist? I'm not. I'm not in any stretch a leftist. But people want to put me there. We just quietly prayed. We met, and a lot of, you're going to recognize, now. I'm just going to go through some of the themes of the flow of what we've been learning together and see if any of it resonates with your heart. I'm planning on it. I don't know when yet, but next weekend, not not the one this airs, but the following, having kind of an after show God journey. So some of you want to come on and talk about this with me in a Zoom session, you're going to be free to do that. I'm going to make a way to do that, though I'm not sure how, when, and where yet that's going to happen. But I'll make room for it, and we'll announce it here uh, on the on the God Journey website um, and the blog and the Facebook page and all that stuff. So if you want to join us, you can, or you can email me, and then we'll set it up for you, J at lifestream.org, and we can invite you into that conversation when we nail it down. When we first started thing, the would you stand with God against the delusion that's in the world? Yep, willing to do that. So we started to pray. We knew there was something. This was going to be a trek into love that it's love that untwists the delusion. It's not fighting the delusion. It's not getting angry at it. It's not responding in kind. It's, there's there's a, a secret to love. And the first part of praying, you've heard these themes on the God journey. Well, first one was the first thing we felt like God revealed to us that took significant step. There's lots of little things God's revealing as he's networking us together. Understand, I knew everybody in that room. I'd been in their homes. I'd been with them. But not everyone in that room had been with each other or even knew of each other. These were not brand name people. These are not authors and web page hosts. These are simply people whose journey in Jesus, I thought, 
provided a unique perspective for them to join us in this conversation. And the first big ticket item, I think, for me was God asking, would you gaze with me? Because when I pray, I hold things. I, I did this. We did a podcast about this. I hold things before God. I visualize holding in my hands, whether it's Sarah or someone else I love or a situation or a political thing or whatever. I'll hold it in my hands. I'll hold Ukraine in my hands. I just, and I may be with a globe, I may not, but I, I hold it there and I say, God, do you see this? God, what do you want to do here? And I felt like God was saying, don't gaze at me. Don't hold the globe in front of me and gaze at me. Come with me on this side and gaze with me at the world. Come gaze with me. And we had no idea what that meant, at least by how it's grown over the last three years. At the time, it was, wow, that's interesting. How do we shift? How do we shift perspective so that instead of me just asking God to do stuff, I'm with God looking at the world, looking at the delusion, looking at those things through his eyes. And that's where we began to pray. The next step of that came in, you gaze best. And this is weeks in the making. Please understand, I'm going over three years here in a very brief time. It was you gaze best when you're at love and rest and play. And these are not words from God prophecies. These are simply insights we discovered together as we explored this. So there's nothing of Okay, there's a prophetic word, and now we're all chasing the prophetic word. There's people sharing things they feel like God's showing them. And then if what what built on other things other people were seeing. And so the conclusions are love, rest, and play is the best place. It's not the anguish, torment of a desperate prayer. And many of you have done that. And you, you know, I've done it most of them in my life. Just, oh, God, we need you. And you white-knuckling it and trying to find God's wisdom. And those times, God's wisdom seems less present. I don't know why other than I think this is true. When we're at rest in his love, we're at rest in his work, when we're at play in his love, that this is not this huge weighted thing we carry, but we're at play with the God of the universe who has a plan for redemption that's unfolding that we don't control. We don't handle it. We just get to go along him, with him in it. And the picture he gave us is like just coming to a mountain cabin and sitting in front of this huge window that overlooks the, the high Sierras in our case, and just sit there on the couch with God, gazing with him at rest, at play, with in love with him, and see what he would show us. And so we cultivated that for a bit. It was things about Romans 8, about the creation yearning for, in, uh, being in frustration, yearning for the sons of daughters of God to be revealed. There was Isaiah 61, arise, shine, for your light has come. And in, in the midst of that, I did that recording two and a half years ago called It's Time. I was up in the Sierras after a huge wildfire in the snow, in the devastation of all that, and God began to put on my heart, it's time. It's time for the sons of God to be revealed. Now, what that's going to be, I'm going to talk about in another podcast up the road because there's something changing in my heart, and there's a book that I feel like I'm beginning to put together, and it really is about this it's time thing. Over the last since God spoke that mark two and a half years ago, I can't tell you all that I've been through. Some you know. Some you know what I've been through with Sarah. There's other situations that I've been through that was almost— as tragic as that, almost. Sarah was by far, what she experienced, what she encountered was by far the worst. But those things began to shape my heart. When I say it's time, I feel like for the last two and a half years, I've been in a boot camp of God 
doing things in my heart, pulling threads together, completing some things in my heart, giving me insight into things that I've yearned to see for a long, long time. And now they're beginning to take shape. And that has been through great pain. I'm not going to tell you that's just been all oh, these lovely revelations and beautiful things. This has been through a lot of anguish and sharing that pain, sharing that anguish with God, and then finding him sharing his anguish with me or with us as a group. The next thing that came as we were talking about love, rest, and play, and learning to listen, and it's time for things to be revealed, there was a, we disrupt the delusion was setting hearts at rest by amplifying the voice of the shepherd. That the delusion wasn't something to confront directly. We You can't tell a deluded person they're wrong, because when you already believe a lie, the truth doesn't sound like it makes any sense at all. So confronting delusion with truth generally pushes people darker into the delusion. But somehow there was a way to set hearts at rest enough in love that they would be able to see the shepherd and he could lead them out of it. This was also a part where we were hearing about God calling out a new generation and that calling out to them when they put their devices down at night. And it, it, we had a sense it was young people. We have a sense too that it's also older people and, and everybody. It's, it's even some of us who've lived a long life yearning for God's salvation, yearning for redemption, yearning for something uh, revival in many cases, and we'll talk about that too. But yearning for God to reveal himself in a way that makes sense in our world and have prayed and been on. It's for older saints, the Simeons and Annas. If you remember when Jesus comes to the temple, eight days old in his mom's arms, it's two older people there, Simeon and Anna, and they recognize the Messiah in an eight-day-old infant. But the rest of their countrymen couldn't recognize when he was a 33-year-old miracle worker, teacher, wisdom guy. They couldn't see it. They saw it in a baby and knew this was the same. There are people who have, that's, that's a generation too, that God is giving rise to, who see what they need to see. And he's calling out through dreams, yeah, and through visions, and through things in the night, when people are disconnected from the devices that are so distracting to us. And then I went through a situation shortly after that to which I felt like God, and I'll talk about that situation down the road, but it just said, you want punishment, I want redemption, walk away, leave this to me. That was about that situation. But it also really primed my heart to go, oh my gosh, everything's bigger than me. That somehow there's this bent of vengeance and anger that comes when injustice comes that doesn't lead us to healing. It just leads to perpetuating the injustice because one side feels not well served and then they've got to get vengeance back to get justice. And the other side then feels them not well served. And so they launch more vengeance back. And we see this racially, we see it in the Middle East, we see it in so many places in the hum in humanity, but we can't find the place for love to penetrate our deepest divisions because we're so worried about our own comfort and so worried about our own stake in it and what we're going to get out of it. And so learning to walk away and leave something to God that was so huge, um, you can't imagine. And watching God work in ways that convinced me that this was him. And then Sarah's situation, almost a year and a half ago now, almost two years ago now. And boy, that was just, that was 
I didn't see it as attached to what we were doing at the time. To, to, at the time, it was all about how do I find my way back to her? And if I did something to destroy this marriage, if it's my fault, then I'm done with ministry. I'm going to find that out. I'm going to go down that road. So th that was that was a lay it all on the altar season for me. And then we began to discover that Sarah had had trauma surfacing in her life, and she had been abused as a child. And you've heard the story here. If you haven't, you go back and listen to the Redeeming Love podcast, and you, you can catch up on that story. It's, it's an incredible story that that could lie dormant, deluded. There's the word again, right? For 64 years, not knowing what the truth was about her life, and then beginning to discover it and making the choice, do I want to know? There's so much God taught us going through that with Sarah's experience, because even her accusations against me were part of the delusion. It wasn't part of the reality. And how does God win Sarah out of that? And one day God said to us while we were talking and praying for Sarah and this group, and he just said, Sarah's the world. The way you've loved her is the way I want you to love the world around you. Delusion is caused by fear and anger, or what our recent guy called fury, the frustration of unfulfilled hopes that somehow we're going to take power to ourselves. And to my brothers and sisters that I know, I hope you're not listening to this podcast because you just get angry at me, but to those that are deluded in their idea that salvation would come politically, that the kingdom of God would come politically, that I'm going to invase all my spiritual fervor in that. Now, here's the situation, right? Now, I, I, I wouldn't have said this two years ago. I'd say it now. My heart breaks for those whose spiritual passion was co-opted by a political agenda. Doing what you're doing, honestly believing you're serving God. There's nothing, there's nothing worse than that. In fact, we're warned about that. Jesus said he's going to cut the last days short, lest the very elect be deceived. I've got people in my life I would say are God's elect. They are people who've walked in faith and walked in goodness and walked with God at great personal cost, who've been caught up in the deception and the lies and the delusions of this day. And when I pray, I pray for them. I don't, I'm not angry at them. I don't blame them. I don't know how their spiritual passion got co-opted but my heart breaks for them. I want them to find the Jesus they were seeking when they got sidetracked. It was through this that we talked about a return to innocence. That innocence in our heart and helping people find it and being guardians of that gift inside someone's heart would be a great thing. And then it was a year ago, um, in the aftermath of some personal things in not only Sarah's situation, but other things in my family, a situation that has not been named yet, caused me deep pain. And I was holding that pain. God began to speak to us about holding pain of the world with the man of sorrows. And that opened a door into, what? I've always thought of God, when I think about him over the world and his sovereignty, it's this victorious God who has everything in his hands and is working it to completion and victory. And, you know, you read that and you see that and you hear that and you think that. And then to hear okay, there's a whole part of Scripture that doesn't get the same billing. The man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Jesus with loud cries and tears offering himself to God, that there's some kind of anguish in God. Jesus crying at Lazarus' tomb, 
It's not the grief of humanity around him. He's going to handle that. There's something else going on about the glory of God that he's trying to share with Mary and Martha. And if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And there, there's something else going on in the anguish of God that I've honestly been mostly tuned out of in my life. But the pain in my heart through this season brought me to a different place. Could we share in the grief of Jesus for the state of the world? And I had that experience I shared a year ago. I was going up to get an MRI done early morning. It was early. It was really early. It was before sun, sunrise. And I had this grief in my heart. And I was driving up the hill, and I'm trying to process this grief with God. And finally, over a number of different attempts to pray, finally said, God, I've lost last year. And even though a lot of those relationships had been restored at this point, I was feeling the grief of saying what happened with Sarah and my family. I lost every relationship I valued to lies about me last year. I lost relationships I deeply valued to lies people told and believed about me. And as I was holding that before, and I kept wanting to add God to that, saying, you, you, what, you allowed that? No, don't believe that. You watched it happen? Yeah, but that, that. And what finally came was, and you were with me in it. And that, that was, oh my gosh, you were with me in these huge moments of pain and loss. And then I felt like the Spirit of God just said, now you're ready to hold my pain. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea it was connected to gaze with me. But if you want to pray for the delusion in the world, and you want to gaze with me, then gaze out of my agony. I too, God was saying to my heart, I too have lost every one I value to lies about me. He knew my pain. And now I knew his. When I shared that with this prayer group, we were talking about it one day. One man said at the end of it, you know, it seems like what he's saying is at the same time, we can be one with the sufferings of the world and one with the victory of the cross. Boy, that's it. I don't even know what that means yet. We're still exploring that. And you welcome to come explore it with us. But what does that mean? Now you're ready to share in my agony and agony and ecstasy. It's the love, rest, and play still inside the agony. This is, this is what has blown me away about these last three years. We, we have learned so much that then comes back and stitches together. You can't be inside God's agony with God and bear it emotionally. It'll overwhelm you. It will devour you. But if you're at love and rest and play and you're with him, for whatever reason God wants it, I don't even know what that is. I know Jesus wanted it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wanted his disciples to come sit with him. And they couldn't. They kept falling asleep. And he'd ask them again, would you? And, and God was asking, would you come watch with me? Just watch the world. Watch what I do. He's not asking us to do anything, form an army, start a mailing list. Just will you watch with me? Will you agree with me? And, and there's a sense that God is, yes, at the threshold of our world to effect redemption. It could be the final redemption. We don't know. We're not making any conclusions about that. But the sense of it is there's something God is at the threshold and he wants to do in humanity. And he's waiting for humanity to invite him in. He's given us sovereignty and dominion over the world. And if we come, we come.
if we make a place in our hearts for him, it opens a door. The agreement, there's something God wants us to agree about that allows him to step across the threshold and do what he wants to do for the redemption of the world. Is it for the last time? I wonder if it isn't, but I don't know that. So I, I don't making that conclusion. But for whatever redemption God wants to work in our day, to free the world from its delusion, to let Christ to be revealed in a way that opens the eyes of people who've been lost in the darkness and lost in the availing. The word apocalypse, which I know most of us put to second coming and put to horrible things, the word apocalypse is the unveiling. It's a revelation. It's a revelation of who Christ is and how he makes himself known in the world. So will you watch with me? The wisdom you seek, he said, is in my agony. Hint, there's no vengeance in his agony. Now that's, that's a deal for me. To see injustice, to see brokenness, to see darkness prevail, and not cultivate vengeance, or not, I wouldn't say cultivate it, just have it there. He's saying there's no vengeance in my agony. And then someone made a comment on our blog that fit right into the conversation that we were having about so many of these things. It says, we will stay crippled in the darkness if we cannot feel compassion for the heart that is the darkest. Love, delusion, agreeing with God, redemption, all those strains of thought, all those threads come together. The wisdom you seek is in my agony. And where will you find your agony? Where will you find his agony? You'll find it in your own. I'm talking to people, I'm sure, who've suffered great injustice and pain in your own family and friendships, business dealings. You've suffered from people who've taken advantage of you and have done it duplicitously and have, and have made great profit against you by doing that kind of thing. I, I, I suspect that we got people like that listening. And that anger goes to the deepest part of your heart. And I, I encourage you, You'll tune yourself to God's agony when you find him inside your own and let his love drain the vengeance out of it because vengeance is never part of what God wants to do through us. Vengeance is mine. If you believe in vengeance, put it all on God. You and I don't have any. So how do I let God's love pierce the most broken places of my life Pierce the injustices I've suffered in a broken world to people who will lie and cheat and steal for their own benefit. How do I navigate that space? If you love enough, see with Sarah, it was never a question of forgiveness. Never, a qu Father, forgive her. She knows not what she does. I know I'm not that guy, but she doesn't know I'm not that guy. Not now, not yet. And we're not communicating. So I, I am communicating to Sarah on my bed at night, for an hour a night, I'm speaking to her when we were apart. I was telling her everything I wanted to know, asking God to put it in her heart. During that season, and then this season where God was saying, share in my agony with me, now you're ready to share some of mine. I don't know why God wants me to hold pain with him, but I know it changes the way I pray and the way I see people in the world. And so if for no other reason that, but there must be something God needs and God gets out of it as well. And that's what we want to learn. What does God want us to be involved in? And now seeing the cosmos, will you watch with me? Will you gaze? Now, I did that well about a year ago, and then 
we bought a home and we were fixing it up and then we went on the trip and I kind of lost track of all that. And God brought me around again to it saying, will you watch with me? And I'm going, okay, I heard that before. Disciples heard it three times that night. I've missed once. I don't want to miss again. What does it mean to hold agony with God, to find his light inside myself? And so that's what we're in this group has all been a part of all this with me. There's so much I've left out. Psalm 84 has been really key, the Valley of Baca, that people would pass through this wasteland, and because of the grace outpouring in their heart, the wasteland becomes a meadow. It's just love in the darkness leaves beauty and refreshing behind for those who need it. There's so much of this story that has encouraged my heart. We'll process this out in days to come. I hope Kyle has some questions, has some ways to help us get into this. We're still in the process of this. What is it that God wants us to agree with him about in the world? What would reverse this delusion of darkness? Does causing people to run from God, that's a big part of it. Also causing people to love who love God to be distracted by things that aren't part of his doing at all, and yet think it is, and yet absolutely 100% convinced that God wants to do this in their heart and life. What does God want us to agree with him about? This is a three-year prayer, and we haven't gotten to the end of it yet, if we do. We stop periodically and say, we want to keep doing this? is this, Is this fruitful? And every one of us is saying, oh my gosh. It's so fruitful. It's fruitful in our own lives. Maybe a different way for us to gather. I've thought about even more locally, man, if I found some people that wanted to do this every couple of weeks, let's get together. And instead of having worship service and Bible reading and doing that, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm not against all that. But, man, we've been in prayer meetings. We all have, right? That just seem boring. We keep praying for Aunt Maud's bunion and something to happen in the school district, and then none of those things change. And then we just go back and pray it again. And Oh my gosh, I've been through so many boring prayer meetings, even asking people to pray every couple of weeks. I just would go, okay, I don't see that happening. Now I do. My goodness, the discovery that comes when people don't come with an agenda and don't come with a request, not trying to get God to do what we want, but saying, God, what are you doing? What is the purpose of God unfolding in the world and in our own lives personally? What is the purpose of God? And how do we agree with you about it? And finding such spectacular beauty, even in the midst of agony, has been the most encouraging thing I've ever been a part of. To hold sorrow and joy in my heart exactly at the same moment. Which must be part of what God does. There's agony in his heart for the loss in the world. There is. There's also joy, that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. One of the things I felt like God encouraged me with at the end of the year this year was when you made Sarah's pain more important than your own, you let her joy become your joy. And I was watching her walk our new puppy along the backyard and the flowers and the birds and the things that she enjoys. And just this huge smile and laughter on her face. I was inside looking out through a window. It made my heart so happy. And that's, you know, when you made her pain your pain, her joy becomes your joy. So this is not some dour thing, but it has led me down roads. You're going to see some new blogs come up at livestream.org soon about some of what 
we've learned in these lessons and some of what it is that God may want us to be a part of in the world. As I said, some of it's going to be challenging for some people to hear. It's going to cost us audience, most likely. And that's okay. I, I don't need to build an audience at this point. I simply want to put some truth in the, into this world, whether it's for this generation or for a future generation. What does it mean for us to prepare for the day of the Lord? What does it mean for us if this is? What if? What if these are the last days? What if climate change, the wars going on in the world, what if the, the meltdown of society happens in our generation and Father comes to redeem it? What happens if? And what does he need from us? I hope this touches some of your hearts and you want to join us. I am not opening up our Wednesday prayer meeting to everybody who wants to come, but I am saying we're hoping the things God's taught us, the things we've discovered, we've said, man, I hope there's hundreds of groups like this all over the world who've been waiting on God in a similar way and discovering similar things or complementary things. If they are, great. And if there's not, Jesus said, where two or three of you agree, some big stuff happens. Now, I used to think that in the past, I get two people, three people to agree about a new job or a new car or a new something, I could get it. That, but that's not it at all. Because our agreement is first with him, then with each other. And then what God wants to do happens. So I'm excited to see where that goes this year. I think that'll, there's so much more here I could say and share. And I'm sure it'll come out this year. I think this year is really about what this is that we've been learning and what it might encourage in your heart as well if you're hungry for similar things. And I hope you are. Thank you for traveling with us today on The God Journey. You can join this conversation by visiting thegodjourney.com. 